the uh, times that we're in are different times. And uh, last week I mentioned to you that we would be having a baptism service in the church building. And there was a handful of us that got together. It was really weird. Uh, it was weird for the people to be there, uh, to see the building. The You know, all you're seeing is the stage on camera right now. But the people that showed up, I think, uh, Salpi, you were pretty taken aback. Uh, Shole was there. Uh, Shire, I see you there with your mask on. Bless you. Yeah, you're waving at us. Uh, it was a different experience. And uh, it was heartbreaking in a sense that here's the building that we've been used to that we've had numerous baptisms in, but it looks pretty much like rubble. And I don't mean Barney, for those of you that have the Flintstone reference, I mean destruction, I mean vacancy, I mean just not what it used to be. Uh, and it brought a lot of questions. I'm sure you all are asking some questions. COVID has given us a lot of time to ask a lot of questions. And uh, one of the questions that I'm sure we're asking is, will we ever go back into the building? What is worship going to look like? What is uh, small groups going to look like? All of these different questions that we're discussing and, and struggling with. What does work look like for some people? What does school look like? For the children what does our future look like and uh, with questions what i wanted to do today is take a moment and uh, look at some of these questions that we all face so i think you're all familiar with how to use the survey feature on zoom look at your tapping finger ready there's going to be a few questions that you're going to have to answer on zoom Thanks, Sylvia. I see you nodding that you know how. Yes, I'm sure you do. <laughs> Bless you. You're probably you're using that for school, right? Yeah. All right. So poll question number one. What is the first question in the Bible? Uh, sorry, not what is, but who asked the first question in the Bible? Uh, we have some choices there. Choice number one is God, Satan, Adam, and Eve. So take a quick moment there. I mean, don't make too much out of it. Just ask it. Uh, think about it real quick and just show me what you uh, remember from that. By the way, this question was asked at a uh, pastor's clergy day and uh, most got it wrong. Yikes. So I had answered it and I was told I got it wrong. And I questioned myself, so I went back to the Bible, and then I raised my hand and I said, excuse me, can I appeal the decision? And they all laughed, and uh, I said, well, look at it here. This is what it says. Anyway, all right, two more seconds. Thank you, real quick. Uh, the results are, where are they? I'm sharing the results, but can you can you see them? Some of you, about a third of you said, uh, can you see the results? Yes? No? Yeah? Okay. A third of us said God. About half of us said Satan. Uh, five, six percent said Adam and 12 percent said Eve. 
The real answer is the first question in the Bible was asked by Satan. And he asked the question, did God really say you should not eat from all the trees in the garden? Okay, question number two, real quick. Uh, questions that we face today. Who's asking the questions you're contemplating? Yourself, God, Satan, or the people around you? Where are the questions that are causing your mind to work overtime coming from? few more seconds on this one. All right. Going once, twice, gone. Okay, here are the results. Most of us are asking the questions ourselves, or at least that's what we think. And uh, about 20% of us are saying that God is asking me the questions. Another equal amount are saying Satan and uh, almost the same amount are seeing the people around me. All right, third question for us today. How do you determine where the question is coming from? What is the source of the question? Is it, I already, you know, I simply know in my heart, I know where the source of the question is. If it's God, if it's Satan, if it's myself, uh, some of us may not know where the source of the question is. I check to see what other people feel about it. I get a second opinion or third opinion or fourth opinion. Sometimes it's just impossible to know. And you sort of had to guess. Another four or five seconds. Okay. About half of us simply know. Well, praise God, we have some wise guys or wise folks among us. 15% uh, or so, 10, 15% just don't know. Uh, another equal or so amount, check with others. Sometimes just impossible to tell. About a third of us are saying that. Question number four. About the questions that matter in life, of all of the questions that your mind is preoccupied with, the most important, uh, the most important ones, are your own questions, others' questions, God's questions, or Satan's questions. And don't give me the Sunday school answer, please. Be honest with yourself on this one. You know, Jimmy used to go to Sunday school, and. Uh, teacher was sharing some Bible stories. She was talking about creation and how God created all the different animals. And she described this animal that looks like a horse, has the neck that looks like a tree, has a small little tail. And Jimmy said, uh, and she asked, what is the name of this animal? And Jimmy says, uh, Jesus. And then she looks at him funny. He goes, I know the real answer is giraffe, but it's Sunday school. So I figured you want to hear the answer to be Jesus. Anyway. 
such bad comedy. All right, I'll stop this poll. Uh, so the answers that we are showing is our own questions and God's questions seem to be what's bothering, not bothering us, but questioning, causing us to ponder these questions. That's good. And uh, you can see that. All right. And the last question. How do you find the answer to the questions that are heavy on your heart? Is it from all that you know already? Is it uh, what the popular answer is around? Or does it depend on who's asking the question? Experience, that's all, you know, all I know. All right, a few more seconds. All right. So we've answered uh, from our own experience what we have learned in life so far. And that's probably wisdom to also say that it's depending on who's asking the question. Yeah, very true. All right, so to get a sense of how this fits together, questions and questions that are being asked of us today and different things that we can consider, there's a lot of questions in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there is a number of questions. Now, mind you, it's in a lot of books in the Old Testament. And there's a lot of conversations, uh, you know, simple questions as when someone is being told the promise of God and by God, and they ask, how can this be? That's a simple question. Or the question that Satan asked, did God really say? Or the question that God asked, that's where the people get it confused sometimes because the first question God asked sticks in our minds as being the first question that's in the Bible, but it's a second question in the Bible. And the first question God asked is, Adam, where are you? That's a great question. And you can answer that in many different layers. Adam was probably thinking, I'm hiding behind a fig tree that's behind the bush here. Maybe God meant a little bit deeper than that. Adam, where are you? Are you still in the place of innocence? Have you gone into the place of guilt? Have you gone to the place of shame and fear? Anyway, there's 2,274 questions in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, much shorter book, a uh, number of books, 1,024 for a grand total of 4,288 but don't worry, we're not going to look at all 4,288 questions this afternoon. I only want to focus on eight, and that's a lot, I know. So I don't know if we're going to get through all eight. Uh, my heart is to sort of get to the nugget of what the eight questions are all about. 
and address them. And uh, these are questions that are going to be taken. Uh, this slide is not prepared, right? But anyway, I'm going to be looking at them from the book of Haggai. And the book of Haggai sits in a very interesting period in the history of Israel. The book of Haggai is one of the few books that has dates in it that tell us exactly what happened when. The author Haggai has recorded in detail that this word came to me on this day, the 24th day of the sixth month, which would place it sometime around September uh, 520 BC. And in the way that he writes to us, it's as though he's writing for us today. And he's asking all kinds of questions. And these questions that he's asking center around one thing. He's asking the people of Israel the questions that God placed on his heart to ask them. So they are really God's questions to Israel. And they center around one thing, the temple. And they're asking questions about their understanding of their relationship with the temple. And he's asking, God is asking through Haggai, the prophet, questions that are multi-layered in the same way as Adam, where are you, was multi-layered. And I think that's what makes these questions that God asks very important and relevant for us to understand. The questions that God asks are always intended to reveal. Now, you're probably thinking to reveal something about our heart. Yes, that's true. The questions that God asks are always intended to reveal something about our heart, but they are always accompanied with a promise of a blessing from God to improve our situation. Adam, where are you? Eve, what have you done? The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The dialogue with the questions of God starts with an exposition of our heart or our condition and ends with the promise of God. when God asks questions. Put things in context. The uh, time of Haggai was about 520 BC, and it was the time that the kingdom of Persia was the most powerful kingdom in the world. And at that time, the people of Israel had rebelled enough against God that they were overrun by the enemies of Israel. First the Babylonians, then the Medes and the Persians. And they were scattered out of the land of Israel. And the thing that they valued the most, that thing, that, they, that place, that thing, that monument, that building that they would visit often was destroyed. Now, you have to remember who we're talking about. These are the family of Abraham, 
that had been spared and saved by God through an act of powerful miracle when they were slaves in Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, before they went into the promised land, Canaan, God spoke to Moses and gave him the details of what would be the tabernacle that he would have built when they land or when they entered into Canaan, they would have this tabernacle with them. So the tabernacle was given in a lot of details. And the details of the tabernacle showed the glory of God. And even though it was just a tent, it wasn't a building, it was a tent, this tent was given in extreme detail and was the answer to the questions about Israel's access to God. When they came out of Egypt, the tent was given, and they were now into, entered into Canaan. They have the tent with them. And then their greatest king, King David, had built his own house in the city of David, which was just around the mountain called Moriah, where uh, God appeared to David and Abraham was to sacrifice his son, which he was spared from doing by God, on that hill called Moriah, today called Jerusalem. David wanted to build a tent, sorry, a tabernacle that was there as a tent. He wanted to build a temple because he didn't feel right that he was living in a palace there, but God was living in a tent. Keep this in mind in the progression of the history. God did not want, uh, sorry, David did not want God to live in a tent while he lived in a palace made of brick and stone. So God gives Abraham, uh, Moses, excuse me, God gives David the instructions as to how to build this tabernacle as now a building called the temple, the dwelling place, the house of God. And he instructs Dave, uh, David that he was not going to build it, but his son after him, Solomon, was to build it. Now, put things in context. Solomon had asked God for wisdom when he became king. And this monument, this is the monument that was destroyed when Israel was taken into captivity. This monument called the temple was laid with gold all around inside, and, and it was just a glorious monument. Actually, half the known discovered gold in the world was put into that temple. People from far and wide came to visit it because it was so big and so powerful. Presence of God was there, and they were in awe and in fear of Israel because of the God that lived in that temple. Now, this temple had been destroyed. And Haggai is talking to the people, some of which had seen that temple before they were carried off in captivity. They were now older, but now they, they were in captivity for 70 years. And some of them now were coming back to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. They were looking at it. 
I guess it was similar to the situation where last Sunday at the baptism, some of you who were there looked at the building with the, st- with the chairs all stacked up and a table in the middle with the screens and all these computers and all that. And you're wondering, what is this and how is this going to look like church for us again? The temple was destroyed. There was nothing left. We read in the book of Nehemiah about the rubble, the stones, and the the broken buildings that were all over the city, the broken walls, the protection of the city was broken down. But we also read the rest of the story. So let's skip down to the first verse that we're going to look at, which is containing the first question. Oops. That we're going to look at here from Haggai. God is asking Haggai to speak to the people of Israel and ask them this question. Now, this question is not out of context for them. They are not missing the point of God because they remember that this temple was built by their great-grand king, David's son, Solomon, as the answer to the question that David asked, how can I live in this beautiful palace while God, my God, lives in a tent. Now he's asking the question, God is saying that you people are asking and saying to themselves, the time has not come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now that's the answer to the question that the people are asking themselves. Is it time to rebuild the Lord's house? And they've concluded that it's not time to rebuild the Lord's house. It's time to build our home homes. But they have come to the city in the same way that David had come to the city. He built a house. And when he built that house, he wanted to build a house for God. When he was building his own house, his heart, this man whose heart was after God's own heart, could not be satisfied with building his own house while God didn't have a house. So now the people are coming back and they're coming to destruction. They are trying to build their own house. But God is saying, you've concluded that it's not time to build the Lord's house. And he goes on in the next verse says, is it time for yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? That's a great question. In today's conversations, and I've been having many conversations with many pastors, both locally in Canada, in North America, and globally, every pastor is thinking about this question. What does our ministry look like now with COVID and after COVID? What if we can't get together with people like we used to? What if we can't get together and sit in a family room and have a small group like we used to? What if we can't have a worship service like we used to? I love to challenge people with with different ideas when they're discussing some of these questions. So I ask them, how does this compare to the people that are living in Iran that are in churches right now that don't have buildings, that don't meet, you know, because the government doesn't allow it, or Azerbaijan, or Afghanistan? or China? What does church look like in those contexts that we here in the West 
because we have had the freedoms. We think that church has to be a big place and a big building with sound and lights and music and all of that. But what does worship look like, corporate worship look like? Is this what it's going to end up looking here on Zoom for the rest of our lives, or is it going to be something different? I don't know the answer to those questions, but I have a lot of questions that come out from them. I'd love to be all together in the same space, worshiping together, lifting our hands, dancing, screaming, shouting unto God like we used to. Having a baptism with there's no space for even standing in the building. Remember those days? Thumbs up if you remember them. Yeah, they were joyous, wonderful times. The place was buzzing. The water was cold sometimes, warm sometimes. But the people didn't care. They just wanted to jump into the tank and be baptized. And then we would have the feast to celebrate after. Are those times gone? Are they just memories? Is that what happened when Jesus was baptized by John? What did it look like? What does it look like in Iran today when people are being baptized? The stories I hear is that it's in, bath in, in bathtubs, in homes, with their spiritual father and mother there, standing with them and baptizing them in the, in the tub. Some of them do it in the river in secret. I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. I don't want us to be troubled by that. So the question that God is asking Haggai to ask Israel, is it time for you to rebuild your own houses now that you've come back from captivity while God's house is in ruin? And he's now asking them the question, you expected much now that you've come back out of slavery when you were taken away by the Babylonians and now the Persians. Now you've come back home you're building, but everything you build seems to be in waste. He goes on and says, why? Why is that? It's because he's giving the answer. He's giving the answer right away. He's exposing their heart, and he's telling them that I'm exposing your heart. You who are the family of God and have come as a covenant people, your first priority. You know, I had this conversation yesterday with someone about the word priority. The word first priority is an oxymoron. It's redundant. If it's a priority, it has to be first. In our vocabulary today, we have made priority a plural word by adding an IES instead of the Y. And now we have priorities. If you have too many priorities, you have no priorities. You have no priority. Priority, by its definition and its etymology, means first. I have five firsts. You don't have five firsts. You have none. Everything is tied for fifth. But he's telling the family of God, the covenant people of God, that your priority is your relationship with me. If that priority has shifted, now you're building your own homes. You have forsaken the place, which is the temple. And that's not just an Old Testament concept. Jesus talks about it this way. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the people were confused. 
in his time, people were confused because they had just seen Herod rebuild or finish the construction of that temple that was destroyed when Haggai had come to town and they started to lay the foundation. And Jesus saying, destroy it and all will raise it. They said, 64 years it's been, and this temple is not yet complete. You're going to destroy it and raise it in three days? But he was talking. He was speaking about the temple of his body. He later talks about the, the unclean spirit that was living inside a human being. And he says, when the unclean spirit comes out, he goes through the dry places seeking rests and find none. And he says, I will return to my house from which I came, which is my temple. God's house is the temple. And he finds it nice and clean, empty, swept. Paul writes about our bodies. And he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Yeah, yeah, I'm not talking about now recognizing that our bodies are the temple of God and all of us getting memberships at the, at the gym. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this triune being, spirit, soul, and body, being the triune person, you and me, being the temple of the spirit, that the presence of God dwells in us. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, in which temple you are, not just your body. Yeah, your body is part of the temple, and you have to watch after that. You have to make sure you eat well, don't pollute your body with garbage. I'm not talking about just what we eat, but what we also ingest, what we take in through many different forms. Thoughts our mouth, our nose, our ears, our eyes, all of that. That's our temple. That's the temple that he has entrusted with each of us personally and all of us corporately. Paul reminds the people of God about that. He says to them, you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the people of Haggai's time are there and they're listening to Haggai ask the questions of God about, are you busy building your own houses? My house is in ruin. I'm destroying some of the stuff that you guys are doing. Why? And then he now begins to ask the people that were standing there about their own assessment of the situation. Who of you is left? who saw this house in its former glory. Of all the people that were there last week, Shide probably was the one person who had seen the least. And then her guests that were there. And I was so happy that her sister was there and she had a phone that had connected with her family back in Iran and they were able to watch the baptism with us. The video is going to be coming sometime soon and we'll celebrate with her. But for us who had been raised in the church, my heart was breaking seeing what this baptism was like. But I heard this question. 
Do you remember this house in its former glory? And God continues, how does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? God is asking the questions to expose the condition of the heart so that at the end of it, he can give us his promise. I had to repent. I felt bad that the baptism was not better attended. All of us there celebrating and singing and shouting as the person went into the water, as Shidi went into the water and came out. We weren't there to celebrate. There was just a handful of us. But in the midst of that, the Lord spoke to me and told me, I am building something that will be different. He was asking me all these questions. Now, when I first got married, when Silva and I first got married, one of our first acquisitions was a stereo system, a record player and a tuner and uh, an amplifier and a bunch, a couple of speakers. Do you guys remember that? It used to be a big deal to get a stereo system in the 80s and the 70s. Now everybody has their stereo systems on their phones, their iPads, their HomePods, all that. But I once sat down in front of that stereo system and I decided I was going to flip open my Bible. I was reading through a bunch of books and I had come to Haggai. And the Lord spoke to me at that point and he said to me, the question he asked the people of Haggai's time, are you living in paneled houses, but my house is in ruin? I spent almost three, four weeks in the two chapters that make up the book of Haggai. And the Lord started to download all kinds of things that he wanted in my life. As I start to think about that, that was back in 1982. We're coming up to 40 years as I think about those times and the word of God at that time and what the Lord spoke to me through that, that book, I'm reassessing my life and evaluating my life and I'm hearing the question again. It caused me to make sacrifices in my life and in my family's life to be able to accommodate what I understood from that book in the direction I was taking my life. It wasn't the popular answer as the question earlier had asked. It was the answer that I had to follow with God day by day to understand how does that translate? Can I take this promotion? Should I decline on this promotion? Should I leave my city and go to Ottawa for this promotion or Montreal or whatever? Should I buy this business? Should I study theology? Should I become a pastor? Can I take that name, pastor? All the different questions build my house. And now I'm being in front of the situation where the tank is filled, the people are not there. But the old ones were being asked this question, who among you remembers the old glory? The young people had no reference point. Shide may have seen one baptism in her time with us before COVID. But she wanted to be baptized and she didn't care who was around or not. This was her and God and the person in the water with her. There was a few of us there, 
some people that have walked very close with her, Anna and Ava were there and they were witnessing there as, as a spiritual mom and dad for her. But in the midst of all of this, I realized for her, who has not lived the old glory, God is preparing something. And for me, and for you, God is preparing something much bigger than what we could ask or imagine. God promises the people of Haggai's time that the former house and its glory will not compare to the new house with its glory. This was the temple that Solomon had built. Glorious. The queen of Sheba had come to witness it because it was so amazing. But look at what ended up happening. The temple that was built after the destruction, was much more glorious, much bigger, much more elaborate. That's the temple that Jesus talked about, that destroyed this temple, and I will raise it in three days. But look at the size comparison. All they had was a foundation at the time of Haggai. The young ones had hopes and dreams. The old ones looked back, and their perspective was that this is now nothing. This message is for all of us. We're standing at a moment in history where we can either look back at what we had or stand and look at the destruction that COVID has brought, uh, COVID has brought to each one of our lives. Some of us may have done very well through COVID, but you're still at this fork in the road where one path is to look back at what you've experienced so far and the other is to trust God, because he's asking you the same questions today. What are you going to build? Are you going to build your own house, or are you going to build my house? Are you looking at my house from the old glory, and you're remembering, and you're saying, oh, remember those good old days? These, by the way, were the people that sat there crying. And that's when Haggai brought the message to them. They were the people of God that sat crying, singing the songs. By the rivers of Babylon, we sang our songs. And now we're here. And look at the destruction. I wish we were back in Babylon. This is the same children of the people that when they came out of Egypt, sat there and complained to Moses. Why did you take us out of Egypt so that we would die in the wilderness? These are the wrong questions. The wrong conclusions. The right questions are the question that God is asking. Do you trust me for the future? And then he speaks promises as to how he's going to make things clean, how he's going to restore things. And he ends with this word, a promise to the king of Israel, uh, or to the, the leader of the, the city of Jerusalem. And he says it this way, from this day on, I will bless you. Zerubbabel, 
I keep wondering who's going to name their child Zerubbabel after this man who was the leader of the city of Jerusalem, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, Zerubbabel. Beautiful name. I love it. Sorry, I don't have any more kids to name after that man. But anyway, God is making us a promise today. If we hear his voice, if we submit to his leading, if we obey his nudges and his direction to make him the priority, his house the priority, this body, mind, soul, spirit a priority, this family a priority, he will bless us from this day forth. I don't know if it's going to be in the same building that we used to meet in. I don't know if it's going to be in a different building. I don't know if it's not going to be in any building, but we are going to be the family of God alive in the spirit, connected by one another in the spirit or connected to one another by his spirit, able to be the militant army of God moving forward, bringing salvation to many. I don't know any of that stuff. And it frankly doesn't matter. The building is but a facility. It makes it easier. That's all. The first church didn't have a building. They met from home to home. The church in China has no buildings. They're being destroyed today by the government. The church in Iran, very few buildings are authorized. That's not the point. We can make that the point. And those are then, those buildings that we build, if that becomes the point, they become our paneled houses. But God has a different thing in his mind. He has a different thing in his heart. He wants us to be the living building of God, the living temple of God. He may put that living building inside a physical building, and I hope he does. It would be wonderful to have a new facility that has a gym, that has a swimming pool for the young people and the older people to swim in. We can have the baptisms in the pool. We can dream big. Make it a community center for the community all around us to come to the church, the city river, to get all their activities done. I don't know. I don't know what God has in store for us. I have no issue dreaming big, trust me. But I don't want us to dream small either and get caught up in the middle of it all and uh, not come to the point of what he's trying to do with us. He wants to build us. He wants you and me to be built up. The corporate temple is only as solid as the individual living stones that are in it. You and me are the individual living stones. We come together into this assembly, into this corporate building that he builds us up into one big temple together. And then we join with other rooms in the temple, other congregations left and right of us, and we become a bigger temple in the city. And then that city's temple joins the city, other, other cities in the province, and we become a corporate temple across the province and across the nation and across the globe. And that is the river that is the river flowing with living water that touches everything and brings everything to life. God is asking us, don't look at the former things. Don't look back at what we had. Trust me for the future. I have not left you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I'm excited for what the future holds. I don't have answers. 
but I know who does. And it's none of us in this call, but it's all of us in this call. Because each one of us has a small piece of the answer. Each one of us has a small contribution. Some of us have bigger contributions than others. Some of us have contributions that are hidden and nobody will see. But they're critical. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you are faithful. That you are a God who works with the few by putting in hope, putting in vision, putting in specific thoughts that shift our direction, that shift our focus, that shift our eyes from looking beneath to the foundation that is now naked and destroyed, to looking up at what you are building. Father, we give you ourselves once again. We give you our futures. We give you our present. We give you our thoughts and our choices. And we ask you, Lord, train us up to be a powerful, powerful family in your hands. Change our thoughts, change our heart. We give you our thoughts, we give you our hearts. Manifest yourself in among, in among us in power and in glory. For all the questions that we're all asking about what COVID has done, what it will do, how it will affect us, is there fifth or sixth or seventh wave coming? It doesn't matter, we trust you. Manifest yourself among us, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Amen.